Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Summer podcast. This is episode 46. Today I will be talking about the murder of Nancy Cooper. My sources for today's episode are Dateline, Season 19, Episode 89, titled The Day She Disappeared, WRAL.com, EdmontonJournal.com, NewsObserver.com, NationalPost.com, Charlotte Observer, and New York Daily News. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. This doesn't happen in our happy little world. Their world shattered. A young mother murdered. Who could have killed her? We had a homicide. We had no suspects. Also, no evidence. But police found a dark side behind that bright suburban facade. This episode is hosted by none other than Keith Morrison, and it takes place in Cary, South Carolina, a suburb of Raleigh. It was a Saturday morning in July 2008. The happy little world, a sweet and leafy suburb of Raleigh, North Carolina, called Cary, sort of place a young family would aspire to. Cary was a town full of family functions and cookouts. Brad and Nancy Cooper had attended a neighborhood cookout the night before Nancy disappeared while being out for her daily run. Nancy was athletic and had been training for a half marathon. Brad had gone to the store twice that morning and later said that Nancy had called him at 6.40 a.m. When Brad returned home, Nancy left for her run around 7 a.m. By 1 p.m., Nancy still wasn't home, so Brad called her friend Hannah in a panic. Nancy was supposed to go over to another friend's house that morning to paint, but she hadn't been returning her calls either. They called local hospitals, but there was no signs of Nancy. The friends contacted Nancy's twin sister, Krista, who lived in Canada, and she contacted their brother, Jeff, a police officer in Edmonton, Alberta. Have you talked to Nancy today? She went for a run, and she hasn't returned yet, and we're very worried about her. Can you call us back? You know about this kind of stuff. You'd think. Krista called her older brother, Jeff who's a police officer in Edmonton, Alberta. My first reaction was, well, okay, you know, it's, she's somewhere. You just need some space or some time. She'll turn up. The police were involved by that afternoon. Nancy still hadn't returned home to her husband and her two daughters, Bella and Katie. Worried, friends searched while her family rushed to North Carolina. Brad made a public plea for help. If anyone knows anything, I just want them to contact the police with any information they may have. And uh, again, thank you to everyone that continues to come out and help out. Now, before we go any further into the case, I'm going to talk about Nancy and Brad. Nancy was originally from Canada and met Brad in Calgary in 1998. Her family really liked him. I really liked him. As did Nancy's younger sister, Jill. This is someone who is warm. You genuinely saw how much he cared for her. So Brad became a helpful member of the family, even designed the computer systems in the family business. Brad received a job offer from Cisco Systems in Raleigh and wanted Nancy to move with him. Nancy married Brad in the fall of 2000 and got her green card. They then had Bella in 2004 and Katie in 2006. They drove nice cars and made many friends. Now back to Nancy's disappearance. Several days passed until a discovery was made by a man walking his dog. He called 911. Nancy's body was discovered lying face down in water near a storm drain in a housing development just miles from her home. 
Nancy had been strangled wearing only a sports bra and diamond earrings. There were no signs of a struggle, sexual assault, or a robbery. Brad became a person of interest very early on. He told the police that he and Nancy had been up that morning at 4 a.m. to tend to their crying two-year-old. He then went to the store twice that morning and that Nancy left for her run shortly around 7 o'clock. Brad was seen on surveillance footage at the grocery store. However, his behavior was still odd, especially to Nancy's family. He hadn't contacted them, and it was discovered that Brad had had an affair in the spring of 2007 with Nancy's friend, Heather. But he told the police that he and Nancy were working on their marriage and working through their attention. Brad denied it for a year until he finally confessed to her that he had had an affair. They decided to go to counseling, and that's when Nancy discovered that the affair had been going on a lot longer than Brad claimed. Nancy was furious and wanted to take the girls and move back to Canada. Brad originally said he was fine with it until he learned that Nancy was earning her money by cleaning her friends' houses, since she couldn't work due to having her green card. She also locked up important paperwork in her vehicle, including hers and the girls' passports. She began locking important papers, including the girls' passports, in her car. In February of 08, and it was awful. I'd never seen Nancy stressed out before. I'd never seen her raise her voice in the house, and she was just, just miserable. Nancy had also received a visit from her lawyer, who had paperwork for a separation agreement, alimony, child support, and private schools for the girls. Brad then decided that he was not going to allow Nancy to take their daughters. He found the passports and started giving Nancy an allowance of $300 per week. The week before she died, Nancy took the girls on a family vacation with her family. Before she left, she broke down and cried in her mother's arms. Nancy's family started to think that Brad was involved. Krista said she had called Brad asking him what happened to Nancy. She said she had hung up before he even answered. The day after Nancy's body was found, her family went to court to try to get custody of Belle and Katie. They were granted temporary custody, and the girls went to live with Krista in July 2008. However, it didn't last long. Brad fought for his daughters back. Brad answered questions about Nancy and their life in a deposition. Nancy, a good wife? I would say so, yes. She was supportive uh, of myself and of the children, and very loving and generous. But there were two issues that troubled the Coopers' marriage. One was money. The couple had serious debts. Just this last week, I looked at the American Express card from January 2007 to December 2007. And of that, $27,000 was credited to to Nancy's credit card. And mine was um, $17,000. It was to rein in Nancy's spending, he said, that he put her on a cash allowance. How much cash? At least $300. But Nancy, said Brad, was angry that they didn't have more money to spend. She referred to me as the budget Nazi. So I'm sure she probably has said that once or twice in a heated conversation. The other issue, Brad's sexual relationship with Nancy's best friend, Heather. The issue which finally brought the marriage to an end. He called it his indiscretion. I had sexual intercourse with Heather Mature once. It happened sometime at the end of 2004, early 2005, he said. And where did the sexual intercourse take place? It took place in her home, in the closet of the master bedroom. Brad said the only reason that he kept Nancy from moving was because he wanted to see his daughters. Brad told the same story that they had gone to a cookout the night before, 
He returned home first around 9 p.m., read some emails, and went to bed. Nancy returned home a little after midnight. They both woke up around 4 a.m. to comfort Katie, their crying two-year-old. He went to the store twice, and Nancy then went on her run around 7 a.m. Three work Three weeks after his deposition, Brad Cooper was arrested and charged with murder. In March 2011, he stood trial. See, Rance Cooper never went for a run from her house on July 12, 2008. Prosecutors Howard Cummings, Amy Fitzhugh, and Boz Zellinger had their own idea of what happened to Nancy beginning the night before she disappeared. We think that she came home from this party and she had said some things in front of him that might have upset him a little bit and that he choked her killed her then their theory goes put her body in the trunk of his car drove her to that drainage ditch returned home to manufacture an alibi nancy's friend said that she was desperate to leave she slept with her kids with the doors locked brad wasn't abusive however he held money from her and had financial power over her the neighbor that threw the party the night before testified that brad and nancy had fought openly that night she had heard Nancy tell Brad that she hated him. Her other friend had said that she had seen Brad very agitated that week. The prosecution had obtained Brad's phone records. Nancy had called Brad at 6.40 a.m. However, they said Brad had made that call himself by using a 3825 router from work, which was now missing. A co-worker at Cisco testified that he had never returned it. Brad's own computer also proved that he had lied to the police. He hadn't gone to bed at 9 p.m. like he said. He had been on the computer until just before midnight. He then got into an argument with Nancy when she got home and killed her. The prosecution had one more piece of evidence. Brad had made a search on Google Maps at 1.15 p.m. the previous day. It was the exact location of where Nancy was found, and he had even zoomed in. The defense tried to ruin Nancy's reputation by saying that people didn't really know her and that Brad did not kill her. This is Howard Kurtz, defense attorney. And here's what he thought about the murder case against his client, Brad Cooper. You need actual evidence to convict. And actual evidence is something that they did not have. A couple who were friends with the Coopers said that Brad had never abused Nancy and that Nancy wouldn't have gone to her friends to paint a house that morning because Brad had a tennis game. Other witnesses who didn't know Nancy, by the way, said that they had seen Nancy running that morning, proving that she was in fact still alive. One of the defense's witnesses was a man named John, who said that he almost had an affair with Nancy after a tipsy night on Halloween in 2005. This man was now in a relationship with the same woman who had an affair with Brad, and she was his alibi. After the defense failed to present their case, they tried to say that the police had tampered with Brad's computer and deleted items off Nancy's Blackberry. Keith was pretty astonished by their statements. The police said that they would have no way or knowledge of tampering with any evidence, nor would they have done that. Would the police have any motivation whatsoever to get rid of evidence in this case? Not only did they start with an eye toward uh, building a case against Brad, they also started with an eye toward attempting to preserve uh, Nancy's reputation. The trial judge also didn't allow in two experts hired by the defense. Nancy's family wasn't sure if Brad was going to be convicted due to the evidence presented. After two days of a deliberation, the jury came back with their verdict. The jury reached a unanimous verdict. Yes, sir. The verdict of the jury reads, we the jury, by unanimous verdict, find the defendant 
Bradley Graham Cooper to be guilty of first-degree murder. Brad was found guilty of first-degree murder. However, his conviction was overturned in 2013 by an appeals court. They ruled that the experts for the defense should have been allowed in. While awaiting the new trial, Brad shocked everyone by deciding to plead guilty to second-degree murder. He was sentenced to 12 to 15 years in prison. A bench is now dedicated in the park where Nancy was found. Katie and Bella were being raised by Krista and her husband Jim in Canada. Brad has since been released from prison and isn't allowed to contact his now teenage daughters. This case is horrific. To be able to kill your wife and take her away from your two and four-year-old daughters is heartbreaking. Thank God these young girls weren't hurt and that they had such a loving family to take them in. My condolences go out to Nancy's daughters and family. My book recommendation for this week is The New Wife by Sue Watson. Summary. You can never truly know what goes on behind closed doors. My darling son, Sam is marrying his childhood sweetheart, and I couldn't be prouder of the man he's grown into. Walking out on his abusive father all those years ago was the best thing I ever did. And today he stands tall and handsome, saying I do to my dream daughter-in-law. If I hadn't pushed them together all those years ago, he might have never found a girl as perfect as Lauren. It's true what they say, mother always knows best. But weeks later, Lauren is dead and police cars fill the driveway of their idyllic countryside home. As they question Sam, I sense he's hiding something. Why won't he look me why won't he look me in the eye? And who does he rush off to meet as soon as the police are gone? Desperate, I do what every good mother would do. I let myself into Sam and Lauren's bedroom. What I see, I will never be able to forget. My son's beautiful new wife was hiding a dangerous secret. Can I clear my son's name? And could my life be in danger now too? I requested to read this book on NetGalley and it didn't disappoint. Another twisty thriller is right up my alley. I love the dynamic between Sam, Lauren, and his mom. You can tell that Sam's mother really would do anything for him while also searching for the truth of what happened to Lauren. This book has also has short chapters, which I enjoy because I can read before work or just for a brief time in the evening. I give this book an 8 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I'd love to know what you think. If you were on the jury, would you have convicted? Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram, buy me a coffee, join my Patreon at patreon.com slash it's karma clock somewhere blog pod. Leave me a review or a five-star rating. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.